John chapter 10. This is a very interesting, short portion of scripture. And we're going through this series as a church uh, about the I am statements of Jesus in John and also the signs, the key signs that he performed uh, just to proclaim and demonstrate who he is for us. And we are at this short section, which I am preaching out of order. If you were here a few weeks ago, I jumped ahead and read further into John 10 and preached on Jesus being the good shepherd. And this section in John 10, verses 7 through 11, is sort of an introduction into that. Jesus is leading into his core identity as the good shepherd. And because that's such a core identity and such an easy thing for us to connect to and resonate with, we often miss this identity that Jesus talks about. We often miss the fact that Jesus says, I am the door. And I don't know about you, but I had not, prior to preparing for this sermon, spent a lot of time in meditation pondering what it means for me for Jesus to be the door. What does it mean for me? I've spent a lot of time thinking about Jesus as my good shepherd. I've spent a lot of time this year meditating over Psalm 23 and then seeing the connection in John 10 with Jesus taking that identity for himself. But I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about Jesus as the door. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it is really, really good news. This is really good news that Jesus is the door. And I hope that after we spend some time, I have 33 minutes left, after we spend this 33 minutes together talking about this, that you will go out throughout this week and every door you walk through will be an opportunity for you to worship Jesus as your door. I just think that, would, that has profound implications for us. And I, I want to share just five things with you briefly, five reasons that this is good news. As I prepare a sermon, as I think through a text, I, I remember being encouraged early on not to go look at what everybody else is saying about a text until you have spent time marinating in that text. Because if you go look at what other preachers are saying about that text and commentators have said about that text, you'll be tempted to plagiarize. But if you wait and you listen and you lean into the text and just let it wash over you for a while, then go to the others, a multitude of counselors, and see if what you've said is right. <laughs> because it might not be. And, and that's been true for me where I've been like, oh, oh, that's what that means. Okay. And so in my process of doing that with this text, last night I looked for people who have preached on this text and didn't find actually a lot. Like my go-to sources didn't really have, because they spent their time focusing on this larger picture of Jesus as the good shepherd, which is a great place you can spend years on Jesus as your good shepherd and not plunge all of the depths of that concept. So that's good, but there aren't a lot of sermons only preached on these few verses. And I found a guy in Michigan who did, and he actually pointed me to a couple of sermons that Charles Spurgeon preached on this text. And I commend them to you. If you, wanna, if you like reading old sermons, <laughs> uh, just go Google Spurgeon the door, and you'll find two sermons that he preached on this text, and they're much better than what I'm going to do this morning. So I commend that to you. But he was very helpful for me because one of the first things that he said in one of those sermons was, how amazing is it that Jesus took something as common as a door, something that we see every day all around us, and said, that's, that's me. That's what I am. 
Have you thought about that? I, I hadn't thought about that. Without looking, just throw out a number to me. How many doors do you think we have in this room? How many doors? Don't count them. You think there's 12? Six, eight? I was around the six, eight number when I was thinking about that. Kevin's closer with 12. There's 18 doors here that I can see. So I'm just going to run through them with you. One, two, three, four. I count that as two. Three, four, five. There's a door in the prayer room that I can see from here. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, just to get in here. Eleven in the sound, the interpretation booth. Twelve back here in this room. Thirteen, fourteen, and then there's a door in the back of that room, I believe. Fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Eighteen doors. And what Spurgeon says to us about doors is, is this. Here's what he said. Doors meet your gaze almost everywhere. So our Lord Jesus Christ seems to say to you, I will meet you wherever you are, anywhere and everywhere. I will speak with you and plead with you. I will make the door of every room in your house and the door of every cupboard, too, to preach a little sermon to you as you shall be reminded by it that I am the door. Isn't that beautiful? 18 opportunities just in this room for Jesus to preach to us and say, I am the door. Think about your own house. This morning, I was aware of this as I was getting ready, so I had a leg up on you. I was aware of this, and I went through my bedroom door and the bathroom door. I went into the kitchen and opened a cabinet because I wanted something. You know what I wanted? I wanted my coffee mug. And to get what I wanted, I had to go through a door. And I went through my back door, and I went into the door in my garage, and I went out my front door. I went through so many doors this morning, and then I went into my car door. And then I got out of my car door to walk into all these doors just to get here this morning. I had plenty of opportunities to think of Jesus as my door. And my prayer for you this week is that you will too, that you will take this to heart and you will just meditate on just this simple concept. What does it mean for me that Jesus is my door? Something about doors that I thought of is we don't really know where they started. They're so common that we don't know where they started. And I don't care if you are a young earth creationist or if you are an old earth evolutionist or if you're some sort of a hybrid theistic evolutionist. Wherever you are, we didn't always have doors. <laughs> it doesn't seem. It doesn't seem like that. We don't see uh, Adam and Eve building a home and putting a door on it. So at some point in our history, there was a first door. There was. And I wonder what the occasion was for that door. Like, at what point did somebody say, I am so sick of those animals getting in here and eating all of our food. This place needs a door. What was it? And who was the guy that came up with it? And what did the neighbors say? Did you see what he just did on his house? He put a door on it. We know who invented the first light bulb. Who invented the first light bulb? Thomas Ed Elon Musk. Thomas Edison? I thought Thomas Edison. No, we don't even know who invented the first light bulb. I thought it was Thomas Edison. It was actually a guy 80 years before him, and I looked it up last night and already forgot his name. <laughs> Doors are so common that they have been with us for as long as we can remember. And Jesus points to them, and he doesn't say, I am a cross. This is, this is a central symbol to our faith. And we have it here at the center of our auditorium for good reason. But Jesus never said, I am a cross. He did say, I am a door. And I promise you today, you're going to see a lot more doors than you see crosses. 
And you're going to have lots of opportunities to think about this. So five reasons that this is good news for you and for me, that Jesus is a door. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. This is John 10, verse 7. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus here is speaking directly to the Pharisees, the theological leaders, religious leaders of his day. And he has already accused them earlier in this chapter of being thieves and robbers. And he tells them here, you are thieves and robbers. And then later on, he says, and I'm going to lay my life down for the sheep, but you guys are going to cut and run. And by the end of the chapter, they're already plotting to kill him, it says. In fact, there's an attempt on his life. By the, end, by he, by the time he finishes saying what he's saying here, there's an attempt on his life for it. What is it about this idea that Jesus is a door that is so controversial that it would result in an attempt on his life, that people would want to kill him for what he just said? Well, it's the first thing, actually, and it's really good news. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Right there. That's reason number one. This is really good news for you. Jesus is the door into eternal life. He will be saved. Saved from what? It would be good to ask. What am I saved from? In John, John's concept of what we're saved from seems to be largely condemnation. Earlier on in John chapter 3, verse 16, some of the passages that we're really familiar with, we will be saved from condemnation. We will not perish but we will have everlasting life in Jesus if we will believe in him. But if we won't believe in him, we're already under condemnation, John says there. So the first good news is there is a way to escape condemnation. As we look around the world today, it is evident that somebody needs to be somebody to make things right. Yes. Is there a need for somebody to pay for what they've done? Yes, yes, condemnation is coming. We do have a judge. He's perfectly just, so you don't have to be one. We have one, and he is going to judge those who have hurt his people. That's coming, and he's going to judge everyone who has rejected him. So there is a judge. He is going to pour out condemnation and wrath, and there is a way to escape it, but there's one way. That's what Jesus is saying here. There is one door that escapes this coming condemnation, I am the door. Popular to talk about Jesus as popular to say, actually, you are not a Christian by just following Jesus, by really liking his teachings, which is what that often means. I really like the things that he had to say about humanity and about the poor and about justice, and so I follow the teachings of Jesus. We, that, is, that is not what makes us Christians. What makes us Christians is worshiping Jesus, seeing him as more than a teacher, seeing him as God. And that's what he's claiming to be here. I am the door. And later on in the chapter, he's going to go on to make it really clear, nobody comes to him except through me. I'm it. I and the Father are one, he's going to say later in this chapter, and that's when they decide to try to kill him. He is exclusively our only hope. Our only hope is through this door. 
Jesus. So that's the first good news. In that, what he just, in what he just said in verse 9, the, the really good news about that is this door is open. This door is open. It is unlocked for you. It's unlocked. Look at verse 9. What do you have to do? What key do you have to have to walk through this door and escape condemnation and judgment? What key do you need? You don't need one. If anyone enters by me. So who can go through this door? Anyone. There is one door, Jesus Christ, and it is open to you. He is open to you. If you are looking for this door in your life, if you've tried all of these other doors and just found pain and frustration and the frustration of empty promises and heartache, try this door. This is the door to eternal life, and he is standing with arms open wide to you. Right now, he's open. Right now. Open to you. The door to eternal life is unlocked, and it's a person, Jesus Christ. Okay, that's reason one. Reason two, let's keep working through this. That's verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out. Let's pause there because there's two reasons there that this is good news. And this is where I struggled. What does it mean to go in and out of Jesus? Like, what is it? Is this in and out of my salvation? Because there are some that would say that. There are some that would say you can walk into faith in Christ. You can walk into salvation, into the family of God, and you can walk out of it. So is that what he means by you can come to me and you can go in and out as much as you want to? That's not what he's talking about. And actually, Spurgeon was the one who was helpful for me in this concept. This is actually going in and out is all throughout the Old Testament, and it's often linked with shepherds. If a sheep was to just go into the sheep pen, how long do you think he would live? The green pastures are not in the sheep pen, right? The sheep pen is there for safety, for security, for rest. And the shepherd leads them in, and he leads them out to where? Out to the green pastures, yes. So there's this concept all throughout the Old Testament of the shepherds of God leading his people in and out. And even when God makes promises, he often says, when you go in and when you go out, in your comings and your goings, I will go with you. So let's just spend a little, a little bit of time, I have 19 minutes left, meditating on going in to Christ and why that's good news. This is the idea of pressing in to Jesus. And you might think that Spurgeon is stretching the metaphor here, and he might be, but I think it's a good way to go with it because it's biblically true. Going into the promises of God. Think of Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul's prayer for the people is that we would go deeper into our faith and deeper into our understanding of this infinite love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. His prayer for us is that we would press in, that we would press in. And think of how many times Jesus offered to people, come to me, come to me. Are you weak? Are you heavy laden? Come to me, I'll give you rest. How much time, and I'm not thinking in terms of a checklist, I'm not even thinking in terms of a literal number, but how much of your life is spent pressing into Jesus, your shepherd and your door? How much time is spent pressing into the treasures of God's word and the promises that are there? It is really good news that we can do that. To not press in, to not walk into Jesus and all that he opens up for you, 
is like learning that you have just received a massive inheritance and now you're a multimillionaire and you spend the rest of your life never cashing a single check. Why would you do that? It seemed like good news. Like when I told you as your lawyer, hey, you just received this massive inheritance. I thought I was giving you good news and you're not doing anything with it. Is it good news? No. Press into Jesus. Paul says that all of the promises of God are yes to us in Christ Jesus. A good place to start pressing in, maybe for the rest of this year, is to just do a study on the promises of God throughout the Bible. And just look at all of the promises that God made to his people. And there are hundreds of promises that God has made to his people. And realize all of those are yours in Jesus. All of those are yours We could spend more time here, but we've got to move. Going out, Spurgeon says, let this, he just kind of sets this before us. Let this be your thought as you're going out your door in the morning. You're going to work. You're walking through Jesus. What would change about the mundane day-to-day life that we live if every morning before we walked out our front door, we said briefly, Jesus, this morning, as I go out, I'm going out through you and in your power. I'm going to walk worthy of this inheritance that I've been given. As I go out this door, let this moment be an act of worship as I step through you and out into the world. What would change in your family as you got home from work at the end of the day and said, before I go through this door, Jesus, and I live out my faith in my home as a father or a mother or a son or a daughter, I am going through you. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed coming home. There's this little part, I think it's in Colossians, where Paul says, we will do this with the energy that Christ supplies I can't tell you how many times I've shown up after a long day at work with five kids and thought, okay, Paul said that there's an energy that you can supply, and I'm going to take that literally, and I need some energy. (laughs) Think of all your opportunities, and don't get mired into just going in, okay? If you stay in, you'll die. If you stay in, you'll die. And we as Christians, especially those of us that are introverts, have a tendency to love to go in and love to go deep, but never do anything with it, or at least very infrequently do anything with it. COVID has been a great opportunity for me, especially early on the pandemic. I thought it was great that I didn't have to go out anymore. I could just stay in. I thought that was great. But there are neighbors here now in our community, in your neighborhood. There are people that need this news. They're looking for doors. They're trying doors. They need this door. And if you just stay in and you don't go out in the power of his name, he says, all authority is given to me and I will go with you to the ends of the earth. If you don't go out in that, you're not understanding what you're reading. It is really good news that Jesus is a door and that we can go in through him and we can go out through him. In fact, Paul says in Acts chapter 17, in him we live and move and have our being. Everything is Jesus for us. And you know what's interesting there? Paul was actually contrasting Jesus with a false door. That quote was most likely a well-known hymn to Zeus. So the people that he was speaking to knew that phrase, in him we live and move and have our being, in reference to Zeus. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. 
This is the unknown God. You don't even know him. And in him, you live and move and have your being. This is Jesus. This is the door. Every door we walk through has the opportunity to be an act of worship because of Jesus. Okay, we're at three, three. And find pasture, the end of verse nine, that's number four, and find pasture. What is that? This is the first kind of Jesus is giving a hint of where he's going. This is sort of the first reference to Psalm 23 in this chapter before he gets to just the blatant statement, I am that good shepherd in Psalm 23. He says, if you will go in through me and out through me, you will find green pasture. What is green pasture? Well, green pasture is where we have all of our needs met. All of our needs met. That's his promise here. If you come through me, I will supply all of your needs. And I'm not reaching there. It says it in the text that he's referencing. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know when a sheep lies down? What kind of sheep lies down? A content sheep lies down. A sheep that's had all of its needs met lies down. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. So because Jesus invented metaphors, he can use as many of them as he wants to in a text. So when he says he's the door, he's also saying, and I'm going with you out there into the green pastures like a good shepherd would, and I will make sure that all of your needs are met. It's through this door that you will have your needs met, not through any of the other doors. And I do think that he's saying in these few verses that there are some false doors because he says all of the other ones are thieves and robbers. I don't think he's changing the metaphor there. I think he's comparing himself, himself to others with the same metaphor. And we know this. Look at this. In, just in life experience, we know this. I'm the door, verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. There are other doors. Right on the heels of, you will find everything that you could ever want. If you will go through me, you will find yourself in a place where you have everything that you could ever need. If you'll go through this door. But not if you go through those doors. If you go through those doors, there are people there waiting to steal from you. Thieves and robbers are, are two ideas of the same crime. One's just more violent than the other. I've had stereos stolen out of my car. I actually left the tailgate open back when we had a minivan and the van unlocked and somebody stole my, back then I had a Garmin GPS unit because my phone didn't have maps yet. I had a razor, I think. <laughs> uh, so I left the tailgate open all night and I walked out and my GPS unit was stolen. And I could not get mad about it because I saw I left the tailgate open. I left the tailgate open. I'm inviting somebody. I'm here. When we leave stuff on our street or in our alley, it's known. This is free for the taking. In fact, we have a broken chair in our alley right now. If you want to have a chair before the trash comes to take it, it's yours. It's free. I was advertising a GPS unit, and they stole it. Thieves steal. Robbers beat you to death and then take it. That's the difference between these two. And Jesus is saying, all of these others are thieves and robbers. They're out there to hurt you. 
How many doors have you tried to get what you want? How many doors have you gone through only to be robbed, to be beaten, to have the thing that you're pursuing stolen from you? What false doors are out there? We've got children, and there are doors, especially when they're young, that we don't want them to go through, like the front door. <laughs> At least not without our supervision. Rahil was just telling me uh, about a couple of weeks ago that a child ran out through the front door and was running toward the street of the church, and fortunately they were able to catch him. But that's a scary thing. There's death out there, right? But even metaphorically speaking, I've got teenagers, and they're exploring a lot of doors that promise happiness and contentment. And they're getting hurt. And we're having conversations about the pain of going through the wrong door. How many wrong doors have you tried in your lifetime? I was thinking about this. Like, I think the reason, I really believe this. I think the reason that we try the other doors, the things that we want, at the core is actually a good desire. So I don't care what the core or what the door is. Let's just use addiction. Let's use drugs and alcohol. It is often a good desire, but you're going through the wrong door to get it. What's the good desire behind a drug addiction? What could be a good desire? Joy, absolutely. Happiness, what else? Relief, yes, relief. These are good, God-given desires. There's nothing wrong with you for trying the wrong door. It would make sense. You have a desire and you're trying to get it met, but you're going through the wrong door. Jesus will give you joy. Jesus will give you happiness. He promises to do that. If it's relief that you want, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and weary. I will give you rest. That good desire doesn't need to go away. You just need to go through the right door. How many other wrong doors are out there that you've gone through with actually a good desire? What doors have you tried for companionship when this door offers you somebody who will stick closer than a brother? What doors have you gone through for power or for control? I don't want to steal the questions for your community groups later this week and then make it redundant, but this is a good thing to ask one another. What are some of the doors that you've come through, and what are some of the wounds that you have because of it? Because Jesus is also a healer, and you can go through a lot of wrong doors for healing and end up worse than you started. And this door is open to you right now, this morning. It's unlocked, and Jesus is here as a healer for all of the wounds from the thieves and the robbers. And we've all got them. We've all got them. Last bit of good news. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Here it is. This is just the last closing promise. I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. Abundantly. 
You know, you're not just saved, which is what he says. The first, that's what we started off with. You're not just saved. You're safe. You're safe. In here, you can have life and life to the fullest possible extent. And this verse has been abused. Jesus is not saying, I came to make you rich. He's not saying that. In fact, riches can be the wrong door to try and can hurt you and consume you. Jesus is saying, I came to give you the sort of life that you were created for and to keep you in it. Life to the fullest possible extent. And we know this because later on, this was all one sermon that Jesus preached. And so in the conclusion, right before the crowd decided to kill him, which I would prefer not happen today, he says this. Verse 27 of chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There are no thieves and robbers that can get you out of his hand. Nothing can. That's Romans 8. The end of Romans 8 where it says nothing under the sun can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. Nothing can. You're safe. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. You can't snatch them out of my hand and my father has his hands wrapped around my hands. Nobody is getting you out of our hands. Nobody. This is the sort of life that all of us are looking for. All of us want this. This is the core desire that overwhelms every other desire, I promise. Look at any bad decision that you've made, and I'm almost positive you can link it back to this desire. I wanted an abundant life, and I didn't think it was offered me out here. I thought it was through this door, and now I regret it. This desire for an abundant life, a full life, the life you were created to live is common to every person on the face of this earth. Everybody wants abundant life. And the good news is there is a door to an abundant life. And the door is a person, and that is Jesus Christ himself. He is the door to everything you've ever wanted. Everything. This is good news. And today you'll have 50 opportunities to walk through doors and be reminded that this is Jesus. And he did that intentionally. He did that intentionally. He chose a metaphor that we would have in front of us all the time. All the time. This would not be good news if the door was still locked. This would not be good news. If the door was bolted, this would be bad news. There is a door. It gives you everything you want. You just can't get in it. So how do we get in this door? How do we walk through this door? Jesus uses the rest of the chapter to unpack that, and it's actually quite simple. It's the hardest thing that anyone has ever done. He laid his life down for sinners. Nobody has ever done anything harder than that. But he says, I'm the good shepherd. He's building this metaphor. He moves into I'm the good shepherd. And then he says, you know how? You know that what I'm telling you is true. You will know it's true when I do it. And he did it. He laid his life down. 
actually the Pharisees that were listening to him, when he got to that part and said, I will lay my life down, they missed the part where he said, nobody can take it from me because they tried right then. Okay, he's going to lay his life down. Let's get rid of him. This is a good opportunity. They couldn't do it. The text doesn't explain how he is, but it wasn't time yet. Only person ever who laid his life down for you in your sin for you. Even if you've had somebody in your life take a bullet for you, literally, they didn't do it this way. Actually, what that did is it prolonged your opportunity to meet Jesus, the person who laid his life down so that you could have not just a few more years, but eternal life. Jesus, your shepherd, is also your door. So as you go out, as you go out through these doors, go out in Jesus this week. And may we, whatever doors we're trying, may we just stop jiggling the handles. They're the, they're the wrong doors. There's nothing there. I don't know what you're looking for. I don't know what needs you've got. I'm sure they're legitimate needs. I know they are. But you might be trying the wrong doors. Look to Jesus. And may you in your community groups this week look to him together and talk about this and talk about the doors you're trying and point each other. This is a central aspect of the Christian life. Hebrews says, this is what we do. We press one another into this, further into and through the door of Jesus. I could keep going. I've got 40 seconds, but that's it. That's it. Good news for you. Jesus is your door. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would let this sink in. I pray, even though doors after today are going to return to being mundane to us as we walk through thousands of them, I pray for just a window of time this week where we would be reminded that every door that we walk through is an opportunity to worship the door. Thank you for him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.